Galatians 2, 1 through 10. So 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also, and I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. As for those who seem to be important, and whatever they were makes no difference to me, for God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and we ask for your truth to be revealed, that you would speak to our spirit, our soul, our minds, our hearts, as to what your word has for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Finished looking at uh, chapter one of Galatians a couple of weeks ago, and here we are, beginning chapter two, and what we find here is spying in the early church. So who says the Bible is boring, right? Espionage, right? So why spy? What is the motive behind spying? Well, for these guys, they had this religious ideology that was different and the spies wanted to see the extent of freedom that these new Christians in Galatia were having. And so these new believers in the Galatian churches seem to have too much freedom from the law to these Judaizers and they wanted to see an end to it so that their traditions and customs and laws, they would still have power over these new believers who found this newfound freedom. And so Paul wrote in verse 4, so that they might bring us into slavery. Now, good spies don't make themselves obvious, right? The CIA operative doesn't tell the KGB who they are, and the KGB doesn't tell the CIA who they are. So here were these false brothers who slipped in to spy out the freedom Christians had in Jesus. And the strategy was to divide the early church by suggesting that Paul's gospel was different from the leaders of the early church. Now, why does this story even matter 2,000 years later? So they disagreed about Titus and other believers being circumcised. So what? Well, it's significant because freedom in Jesus is a basic tenet. It's a basic belief of Christianity, which Paul 
saw as so extremely important that he wrote this letter with urgency. And we've spoken about this in previous weeks that in Paul's introductions to his other letters, he includes a lot of pleasantries, but not so here in this letter to the Galatian churches. Paul saw that this matter was so urgent, this matter of unity under Jesus, that this was a fundamental belief in Christianity that was at risk here. And Paul fought about this matter because it's not simply about circumcision. It's about freedom in Jesus. Now verse 1, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So Paul went to the religious center of Judaism. And Christianity for that matter. Jerusalem. And he went there with Barnabas and Titus. Now, now Barnabas was a Jew who became a Christian, and he was a great man of encouragement in the faith, and he liked to wear purple dinosaur costumes. Barnabas was a really good person for Paul to go to Jerusalem with. Barnabas wasn't going to rock anyone's boat. He was just this benign ministry partner for Paul to travel with. And Barnabas wasn't going to be bringing any trouble or risk or threat with him at all. Everyone loves Barnabas and his purple dinosaur costume. Not so with Titus. Titus was a Gentile. And he wasn't circumcised. He would be someone who would cause some debate. He would be someone who would rock the boat and much more easily stir up disagreements. He's a Gentile. And Paul evangelized and discipled Titus, and then Paul brought him into the epicenter of monotheism, the belief in one God, while Titus' background was polytheism. And so he was a Gentile who had this former belief that was like way off for the Jews and who the Jews considered unclean. And Paul brought him into the heart of Judaism. And so you may be thinking, so what? What's the big deal? Well, it would look like this. It's football season, right? Let's use that as a picture. Imagine Paul being a Raider fan. Okay? <laughs> Which if Paul was here today, he would be. Because... Because Paul wrote, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So he would be a Raider fan if he were here in Oakland. Right? He would. And so Paul and Barnabas are all decked out in their Raider gear. And they're going to the game where they have seats in the black hole. Because where else would someone sold out to Jesus be but the black hole? So Paul invited Titus to the game. But Titus shows up in Kansas City colors. <laughs> now, if you don't know, Kansas City is Oakland's rival, the biggest rivalry. And so it's Raider Nation, man. Like, it's the black hole. It is a sea of silver and black. And then here comes this dude wearing red and gold. See, that brother's going to need prayer. You're asking for trouble when you do something like that. He's not going to get out of there unscathed, and he's going to be lucky to get out of there alive. I was at a Raider game, not even the black hole, and these two women were dressed in Miami Dolphins gear, and they were like women in their 60s, right? Harmless. They're not like these young punk guys. They're just here. All their gear, they got doused in soda and popcorn and Cracker Jacks and all... You hear what I'm saying? 
So Paul bringing Titus to the Jerusalem church, kind of like that. Kind of like that. He brought him to a place that had some people who believed, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And here was going to be a battle of Christian orthodoxy. This wasn't just some trivial issue. These guys believed and were teaching that unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul took issue with that. And so he's like, oh yeah? Titus, come with me. We're going in. And so which was a clear statement to them, you're wrong. You are wrong. And I'm bringing this brother with me. I don't know how Titus felt about that, but he was going. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. See, Paul didn't go to Jerusalem because of a reactionary impulse. He went there because of a revelation. God led him to do this. And when he got there, he set before them the gospel that he proclaimed to the Gentiles, someone like Titus, who was right there with him to confirm, yeah, that's the gospel that he shared with me. He's not just changing it before you guys so you guys can affirm it. That's actually what he shared with me. And the gospel is, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And Titus was a living testimony to the gospel of God's grace. See, our salvation wasn't anything that we did. We can't earn it. It's a gift from God. And before the Jerusalem church, before the headquarters, the epicenter of the church, was Titus, this uncircumcised Gentile who loved and follow Jesus. A Christian who was saved by grace through faith and he didn't need anything else. Circumcision. For salvation. And obviously Titus was accepted because it says he wasn't forced to be circumcised. They were like, no, 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 you gotta be saved. Strap him down. He wasn't forced. Just imagine how nervous Titus must have been. He's there, and Paul's presenting his case. He's just like, oh, man, Paul, you better be right, man, because this is going to be painful. Because what if Paul was wrong? What if he was wrong? What if he found out that he did have to be circumcised? I told you, man! I told you! And the amount of faith Titus had in the gospel as well as in his disciple, Paul. All right, I trust you. You better not be wrong, man. All right, we're going. And so we read that Paul went to the leaders of the church privately with this. And it wasn't because he was afraid that he was wrong. I mean, he proclaimed this gospel for 14 years. That's what the Bible tells us. So Paul went privately probably because he wanted to confirm that all of them were on the same page so that going forward from that meeting, that they would present this united gospel together and publicly and let people know so that those spies that are out there who are splitting up the early Christian church, they would no longer have their ideology as a tool of division against the true gospel that us early Christians, we agree upon. And Paul's mission here was to unify the early church in the gospel message. 
Verse 4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, Paul's concern wasn't about circumcision. Probably Titus's concern, but not Paul's concern. See, what this was about was freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, in our present day, the issues that concern our freedom in Jesus is not circumcision. But what are our modern-day circumcision issues of today? What are the issues that aren't, as it is written in verse 5, the truth of the gospel? Well, what are we holding on to? There are, are our politics the circumcision issues of today? What ideologies of ours are bringing people into slavery rather into the freedom in Jesus? Are we adding to the gospel of grace? For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's it. Period. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. But then the early church struggled with the Judaizers who wanted their customs and rules and laws and traditions to be incorporated into the Christian faith. And rather than setting people free, they were putting them into bondage. And Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If there are any components to Christianity that we consider orthodoxy in following Jesus, one of those would be freedom. Freedom. It was a paramount issue Paul had to confront back in his day, and I think there are times in the present day when our freedom in Christ is being violated. And I think we Christians violate that freedom against one another more than people who actually don't follow Jesus. We bring it into the church where we bypass the truth of the gospel, where the heart of the gospel is lost and the direction we may be leading people is off. It's off. We need to be vigilant not to let enslavement creep into the gospel which has set us free. Paul wrote this in verse 5, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth of the gospel is for us. For to be right in front of our face, to live in it, and to share that freedom, that freedom from sin, that freedom that has opened up an everlasting relationship with God, knowing that it is a gift of grace that we have received, and not because we are enslaved to earning our way with God, or to God. Verse 6, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Paul knew this issue of freedom in Jesus was extremely significant, and he met with those who were influential in the early church. In meeting with them, Paul knew that freedom in Jesus was paramount to the faith in Jesus, and he needed to make sure that the early Christian leaders were all on the same page about this, that they were united about this. He knew that this issue of freedom needed to be agreed upon as a Christian doctrine to confirm the message he had been preaching for 14 years has been right on. Did the gospel that Paul preached need to be changed? No. Because Paul wrote, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. Nothing needed to be changed. 
And while the Judaizers were preaching that something needed to be added to the gospel, Paul confirmed with those who seemed influential in the early church that nothing needed to be added to the gospel. And Paul brought with him Titus, Exhibit A, a Greek a Gentile who was saved by grace through faith to be in front of these leaders of the early church. And he said, does he have to be circumcised? And Titus is like, No, thank you, Lord, you know. And Paul laid out what he preached. And none of the church leaders disagreed with the gospel he preached for 14 years. They had nothing to add. And they were all in agreement that nothing needed to be added to this gospel message. The gospel hasn't changed. It's not a different message today from when it was in Paul's day. It's the same. And the Bible defines the gospel, not you and not me. It's not a matter of our opinion as to what the gospel is. It is what it is. And it's already laid out for us in the Bible. Let's take a look at what Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this was toward the end of Paul's life. And he had these parting words for Timothy, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now take a look back at verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. The word pattern is in reference to an example to be held on to, to be copied. It's a model that's not to be messed with. Paul also wrote to Timothy in verse 14, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard, meaning keep watch on this. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard, keep your eye on, protect, keep safe, preserve the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience and teaching. Now why did Paul write that? Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, that's already happened in history. And it's still happening today. In our consumer society, people have brought that consumerism into the church, and people don't endure sound teaching as often as they did before. And they look for teachers who suit their passions. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. It's about the truth. 
John wrote in his biography of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need to stay true to the gospel. We need to endure sound teaching. So Paul and the influential leaders of the church united in this message of the gospel about being free in Jesus. And as a unified church, they came against those false brothers who spied on them, who brought a message of enslavement rather than freedom. And Paul was ticked off at those guys. Those Judaizers, they were robbing people of their freedom in Jesus. Jesus set them free. And it's something that we can't do ourselves. We can't set ourselves free. And yet these guys were giving this false hope that there was a work that could be done that is a part of you earning your way to God. And I think we need to be more concerned with those inside the church than the folks outside the church. See, the good news we have hasn't changed and it won't change. But there will be people who want to change it because of a belief that God needs help to change his message. A false belief that human wisdom is wiser than God's. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, it reads, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We need to stay true to the gospel of Jesus so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. May we be aware of the ever-changing values of culture and of the world. And when we start valuing politics and worldly wisdom and worldly knowledge more than we value the gospel, and we want to change the gospel to fit our world, when we have a timeless gospel that is a gift of grace from God. Verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The Judaizers sought to cause division by presenting the gospel in a conflicting way. But the gospel does not conflict with itself. It's the same message. Paul and the pillars of the early church were united in the message of the gospel. You notice who Paul referenced in verse 9. James, Cephas, or Peter, and John. Think about this. Between the four of them, Paul, James, Peter, and John come 21 out of the 27 New Testament books. Think about that. These guys are most definitely the leaders of the church, the most influential, the pillars of the church. Paul kind of wrote that he didn't know, right? He was just kind of going. He presumed that it was so. But history proves these are the leaders of the church. And so there's a debate also as to who the author of the book of Hebrews is. And one of those possibilities is Barnabas. So if Barnabas did write the book of Hebrews, we have the authors of 22 of the 27 New Testament books all in this gathering. So you see, we have the most influential leaders of the early church who are all in agreement with the gospel, with the freedom in Jesus Christ, and they recognize Paul and Barnabas who were called mainly to the Gentiles, while James, Peter, and John were mainly called to minister to the Jews. And they recognized their callings. Same gospel, though. 
And you take a look at verse 9. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. See, they were together. They were in agreement with the gospel and their respective callings. They recognized each other's ministries and who they were called to serve. May we as a church and as Christ followers be in agreement together with other believers, with other churches who faithfully preach the gospel of grace and serve Jesus. We may be called to minister to different people, but our message is the same. And it's so important for the church to be together in this gospel of grace, to be united in truth, the truth of the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith, to be united in the love of Christ. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Back to Galatians chapter 2, our last verse for this morning, verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. See, the leaders in Jerusalem asked Paul to remember the poor, which was more than likely addressing the poor saints in Jerusalem, like themselves. And Paul did do this. He collected contributions from the Gentile churches for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And we know that we're not saved by our works, even though they asked Paul to do this. But our works do show the depth of our faith. Right? James, who was part of this meeting of the early church leaders in Jerusalem, wrote in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Let me read that for us. James, brother of Jesus, wrote this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. 
For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. May our faith be active along with our works. They seem to go together. May we remember the poor and be eager to serve the poor. And we must serve them holistically. Right? Serving the physical needs as well as the spiritual needs. As a church, we must remember the marginalized, the underrepresented, the malnourished, the disadvantaged, the refugee, the sojourner, homeless, the broken. The doctrinal truth Paul wrote in the freedom we have in Jesus is not separated from the works we must practice as Christians. Not that works save us, but works are surely the evidence of whether we are saved, aren't they? And I think that some of you are really good at remembering the poor and you're eager to serve the poor. And perhaps this is a call for you to grow in your faith. To remember the truth of the gospel in your life and to nourish your faith. Others of you may be struggling to remember the poor and you're not eager to serve the poor. And perhaps this is a call for you to serve the poor. To put action behind your faith. Or maybe you're doing well at both. Or maybe you're struggling with both and you need help with both. Wherever you're at, let's be together in the love of Christ and help one another, encouraging one another to grow in the love of Jesus Christ. Let's not be stuck in how we express the love of Jesus to God, to ourselves, to each other. We need to express the love of Jesus holistically in our faith and in our works. Now, some of you are really good at social justice, but you are maybe weak doctrinally. You're just concerned with all these social issues and you're not grounded biblically. And it's something you need to work on. Some of you are strong in doctrine and in your biblical knowledge, but you're weak in service. Something to work on. Doing good at both? Keep going. Not doing good at either? Please be sure to get some prayer before you leave. Right? Even though there are people here that don't know you, we love you here. We didn't know Zach from Adam when he first came. And this community just totally loved him in the loss of his father, in the loss of his brother-in-law. Just loved him. Such a fragile state and he was loved here. You're loved here. Don't believe it? Just give it a chance. See what happens. Get plugged in, get into a community here, and see what happens. My prayer for us is to be united in the truth of the gospel, for us to be strong in knowing our Bible so that we know the truth, and if somebody comes in as a spy and gives us something else, we can be like, no. No. You can be circumcised, but we're cool. Go and be strong in fleshing out this biblical knowledge in the lives we live by serving to grow in the knowledge and experience of God's grace and mercy in the freedom we have in Jesus Christ together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring us closer together as a church, that we would be bound together in the love of Jesus Christ that you would give us revelation, that we wouldn't be reactionary to the things we see around us, but that you would be the one leading us, whether it be a social justice issue, whether it be how we study the Bible and how we live our lives for you. I ask God that you would bless these people here this morning.
In Jesus' name, amen.